0: is everyone doing uh, thank you so much for tuning into episode 10 of the pod yes we have reached double digits congrats congrats thank you everyone uh, this definitely would not be possible without all of you so i really do appreciate y'all uh, of course i'm your host kellen cupid and today we're back to talk a little bit about usq quidditch Whew, i don't know about you but i'm super excited we got a uh, collegiate quidditch back for the first time in, it's been almost two years, I believe. And of course, we've seen some familiar club faces that we saw all throughout the summer as well. So we're going to touch on that too. But uh, just to start things off, we're going to actually head down to the Southwest, right? Because uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but there's this annual tournament they have going on called Breakfast Taco. Actually, fun fact, Breakfast Taco just had its 10th uh, anniversary, so... Uh, Breakfast Taco and The Pod are both now on their 10th iterations. Um, but yeah, so let's just get right into it. So Breakfast Taco is an unofficial tournament. Usually that's where you find all the hot new fresh college Southwest players out there, right? So unfortunately, it's a little bit difficult to identify a lot of the players. Um, of course, you know, not all the uniforms have arrived to the team yet. So it's a lot of blank jerseys and things like that, but... Uh, I, that nonetheless, there were still a lot of names, a lot of faces, and a lot of players who really impressed me, right? So uh, I guess to start off, um, the team that really surprised me the most this past weekend at Breakfast Taco was Texas State University. Whew. I don't know what they got in the water down in San Marcos, but something is cooking up in Texas State, let me tell you. Uh, I believe Maya Heinbaugh is the is the captain of that team, and whatever Maya is doing, something is working because they looked absolutely incredible this weekend. Uh, one person that really stood out to me uh, is David Avila. Uh, David really, you know, made the the term shooters got to shoot. He turned that into a reality. That man uh, could not miss. It seemed like uh, just shot after shot was going in for David. So. Really excited to see how David progresses. And of course, you know, I just briefly mentioned her, but Maya really, really showed out. Uh, I thought that Maya looked incredible in the beating game. Uh, And on top of that, (laughs) since I'm a seeker, I always got to give props to whenever I see some good seeking out there. And Maya really showed up. I think she caught two or three snitches. Uh, And especially the one that stood out to me the most was that uh, snitch catching the final against Texas UT, which, of course, put Texas State up uh, and really made uh, UT start to sweat a little bit. Uh, and on top of that, just like overall, the entire beating game for Texas State looked incredible. Uh, I, I think they kind of went with more of a uh, chaotic style, uh, to, for lack of a better term, right? But it was a controlled chaos. Right. Um, Number three, Cameron Oglevy. I'm sorry if I messed that up, Cameron. Uh, But Cameron really made it the point to show that uh, he was wrongly snubbed in that uh, eighth man all campus draft that happened last summer, I believe. Uh, Cameron really showed out. Cameron, I think, had a sequence where uh, about three or four plays in a row, he had a a catch to regain pleasure control man. That man is a is a dog. He is a certified dog, D-A-W-G, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, but honestly, they just looked like an inc- incredibly physical team all weekend. Probably the most physical team I saw, not only at the tournament, but just out of all the collegiate games I saw all weekend. Uh, Texas State really came to play, and they really came to show that um, maybe they can retake their spot as that top con- contender in the West or in the Southwest to compete with UT for that national championship, right? Uh, Now, of course, I said with the caveat, we got to see how UTSA plays. We haven't seen them yet this season and they are the reigning Southwest champions, right? Southwest regional champions. But as of right now, I mean, Texas state looked incredible. Now, uh, of course, Texas state ended up finishing the weekend second uh, and that's because In my opinion, the best collegiate team in the country, UT, uh, just really decided to turn it up. And, of course, we all know the quality of UT, right? They're the reigning national champions. Uh, I think they won two out of the last three national championships, uh, in college at least. Uh, But they really, really showed their experience this weekend. Um, Of course, Jack Wayne, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm so serious right now. I think Jack Wayne is probably the best, not even beater, but player in college Quidditch right now. The way that Jack just controlled the entire game every time he stepped onto the pitch, especially in that final, it was just so incredibly impressive, right? Uh, he was just everyone on the pitch, such a different maker, difference maker. Uh, but even when Jack wasn't on the pitch, uh, there's this uh, new kid, uh, let me pull up my notes real quick. Uh, I just want to make sure I get everyone's name right, but Kaiser Posen, uh Shout out to Kaiser, man. Kaiser was killing it on the pitch and off the pitch because he's also doing a little bit of commentating. Uh, and overall, all the commentating for Breakfast Taco was pretty quality, I must say. But, uh, man, whenever Jack Wang stepped off the pitch, it didn't look like UT missed the beat because Kaiser was killing it, right? Um, and... It was just very impressive overall, all VT's beating. beating. Uh, but even in the Quaffle game as well, right? Uh, Casey Beavers really stepped up. Casey, hold on a second. Casey Beavers might be the most versatile player in college Quidditch because the way that um, she was able to just contribute on the Quaffle side and the, also the beating game, I was extremely impressed with Casey. All uh, of Breakfast Taco, uh, Caroline Tau, you know, of course, the – Uh, After an impressive showing with the Austin Outlaws this summer, also looked really good. And um, I think my player to watch outside of, uh, you know, Josh Johnson, one of the best qualifier players in the college league, uh, one of my favorites was Davis Rowe. Davis looked incredibly impressive. I think he had a sequence where in that final where he scored maybe three or four goals and was responsible for like the first six points that UT put up whether it was the scoring himself or doing an assists. Um, and just all tournament long, uh, all of UT just looked incredibly impressive, right? Um, that being said, uh, those two teams, I think, were just the clear cream of the crop. Uh, and honestly, are probably two of the best teams in the entire country in terms of collegiate quidditch. Uh, but, you know, there's two other teams there as well. And I'll briefly mention them as well because, uh, like I said, it was kind of hard to get a lot of names and and tell some of the faces through just film. Um, So I wasn't able to really give props to everyone that I would like to. But in terms of everyone that I saw, uh, one name that I do have to mention, uh, Hayden Boys, number 11 on Sam Houston State University. Incredibly strong beater. Um, I believe that Hayden played for League City this past summer, and you could tell that MOQ experience really helped Hayden out. I uh, just lots of uh, catches and, and really was able to take his space and really gave all the teams this weekend a lot of trouble. Uh, I, th- their game against UT, I think he really impressed me a lot. Uh, there was a lot of sequences, even against Texas State as well, where Hayden just kind of single handedly was really making an impact on the game. Uh, and then Sam Houston also has uh, one qualful player, number three, uh, she looked incredible as well uh, there was a couple plays where uh, she just looked like no matter what the other team would do she just couldn't go down just her incredible balance and and footwork and her technique was was really impressive to me um and Baylor looked really good as well uh you know very young very uh, inexperienced but they still held their own you know and I think by the time that nationals comes around or even regionals for southwest because I know that they're uh, Regions and Southwesters in a couple months. Uh, I'm excited to see how Baylor, you know, improves because they look like they have the potential to be a pretty physically imposing side. Um, but yeah, I, I just got to say that overall, um, Texas State really was the team that uh, stood out to me the most this past weekend. Uh, now, in terms of individual players, I think my beater of the weekend as much as I want to give it to Maya because I feel like Maya killed it, especially in the secret game as well. I got to go to Jack Wayne. Like Jack Wayne just looked absolutely incredible. Um, and it, it's more so just the fact that in that Texas state game, as soon as he came back on the pitch, you could tell there was just like a clear gap in quality uh, between the two teams. Right. Uh and then, I guess, in terms of quaffle players for the weekend, um, honorable mention goes to David Rowe, but it's got to be David Avila for me. Uh, David, just like I said, shooters got to shoot. And that man was hit, uh, and I'm a big fan of shot takers. Uh, but overall, you know, I really loved all the quidditch I saw coming out of the Southwest uh, this past weekend at Breakfast Taco. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to see, you know, how this – uh, how the college scene in Southwest, you know, continues uh, all the way into next spring, next semester. Um, but, of course, there was a lot more Quidditch than just breakfast taco this weekend. Um, I'm actually going to swing it over to up here in the Northeast. We had a little tournament of our own uh, called Oktoberfest, the Oktoberfest Invitational and Oktoberfest actually was one of if not the only tournaments this weekend that I believe featured any uh interregional play so uh Creighton University they actually decided to come all the way out from Nebraska out to a uh, little old New Jersey the Garden State uh to really show their stuff against some other teams in a different environment and boy did Creighton come to play now uh going into this tournament um of course, everyone knew about Creighton. Crane is probably you know the unquestioned top two or three team, one of the top two or three teams in the in the country right now in college. Um, they're returning a lot of players. They have a lot of experience. They have a non-playing coach who's able to you know make a lot of decisions off the pitch and uh, just overall they have a lot of the cogs that work really well, right? Uh, USNT deep uh, development academy player Darian Mercick Ellis really showed up. Uh, I know Sena, I believe it's Sena Morimoto, yeah, who uh, unfortunately wasn't able to come to the tournament, but uh, even though he's such an incredible player, I don't think his presence was missed at all. Um, and that's primarily because, I don't know if y'all know, this kid Joe Good, he is a dog. Oh my God. Like, we're talking about certified DAWGs of the weekend. I think Joe Gullett really surprised me the most out of any collegiate player I saw all weekend. This man, like, of course, everyone knows about Darian, you know, run DME, he's super athletic, um, is all over the pitch super fast, but Joe is dotting him up all over the pitch. Right, like some of the catches, the the passes, the way that they were able to move the ball in transition, um, and then even seeking as well. Now, of course, y'all know I'm impartial to seekers, so <laughs> anyone who seeks and is great in another position, I gotta give them their props, of course, of course. But when I tell y'all, Joe is gonna be a player to watch for this season. I am extremely, extremely excited to see how Creighton plays for the rest of this week, or for the rest of this year, this season. Um, Because they are clearly a powerhouse and clearly a championship contender. And I'd be thoroughly shocked if anyone knocks them off in the Midwest Regional um, in the upcoming weeks. I believe it's in two weeks. Now, one thing I did notice about Creighton uh, is that they are unstoppable in transition, but in the half court, they left a lot of to be desired, you know, like, uh, I wasn't at all really impressed with just kind of how they really struggled to break down a lot of zone defenses. And, um, I think this was seen, you know, a little bit in the Tufts game that they had, uh, but especially in the Rutgers game as well. Um, Rutgers, I believe was running a two, two zone and, um, the game was pretty much tied, or I think there was like a one goal difference at by the time the snitch came out. So at the twenty minute mark, and a lot of that is because Crane just could not score in a half court set, which is, you know, they have a whole year to kind of figure out their game plans and things like that. But um, I I think that that's probably going to be the storyline to watch for the rest of the season going on because. One of the things that I noticed about UT, uh, especially, because UT is probably just the unquestioned number one team in the country right now, but one of the things I noticed is that they didn't really have any weaknesses because not only were they incredible in transition, but man-on-man in a half-court setting, they looked dangerous as well, right? They had shooters all over the pitch. Their beaters and and chasers worked so well together. They just looked very, very complete. And, of course, they all have a lot of experience. You know, a lot of those players playing for the – MLQ winning Austin Outlaw's side, but back to Crane, you know, I just am very, very curious about what kind of offensive development they're going to have in a half-court setting. Uh, because everyone knows, you know, your physicality can only take you so far. But once you get to uh, play teams, especially in the Southwest, like uh, those Texas State teams or the Texas State, the UT, those kind of caliber teams who – you know, prioritize that physicality, that prioritize, prioritize that athleticism. Once you start facing teams that are are a little bit more similar to you and your athletic capability, how are you going to be able to you know take advantage of those mismatches, right? Like, how are you going to be able to keep scoring if uh, you won't be able to do the scoring transition every time? So that's definitely something to look out for. Just how uh, that half court set kind of develops over time, because they definitely left. Uh, some some things to be desired in a half-court setting. Now, on to some of the other teams in the Oktoberfest Inventational. Um, Tufts, clearly the best team in the Northeast right now. Um, and it was interesting because they gave Craigian a real good run for the money. Um, but there was like a three-team... Kind of uh, matchup going on, or like uh, there was like two tiers, pretty much, and and I think this top tier was really between Creighton, Tufts, and Rutgers, right? Because although Tufts beat Rutgers, I would say Rutgers gave Creighton more of a challenge, and you know maybe that's just because they played them later on. Rutgers maybe had a chance to scout Creighton a little bit in their game against Tufts. You know, there's a lot of different factors going on, but. Tufts definitely looks like they're going to be the team to beat coming uh, in this upcoming Northeast Regionals, but I'm very intrigued by their matchup with Creighton, right? Uh, It was pretty close, uh, relatively close, close to subjective, right? (laughs) Um, But uh, I was really, really impressed with Tufts all throughout the tournament. Um, I think the player that really, really stood out to me the most, uh, well, I should say, play yours. Uh, were the Smiley twins? You got Brooke and um, Jordan, I believe. Uh, Jordan in the Quaffle game, Brooke in the Beater game. Brooke Smiley, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. Brooke Smiley might be, might have been the best Beater all tournament. This this girl was killing it. Oh my goodness! I was so incredibly impressed with Brooke. Just the way that she held down this Tufts defense, and then on offense, making every right decision, every right play. And you can tell that Tufts had a lot of inexperienced players, you know, filling in the gaps here and there. But between Brooke and and Henry Bear Benson, once the rest of this Tufts team gets a little more experience and and they have an incredible coach, Nick Jablonski, but, you know, once the whole team kind of fills out a little bit more, this Tufts team is really, really going to be dangerous and, and very difficult to keep up with. Um, I was very very impressed with the Smiley Twins. Um, they showed immense poise on both ends of the pitch. Uh, but of course, you know they also had Harry Bear Benson, who I just mentioned, who, in my opinion, just clearly looks like the best Kofa player in the Northeast. Um, just in terms of the way he was able to get to his spots all over the pitch on offense, uh, his keeping ability on defense, and then we I, I mean y'all know i love my seekers by far the best seeker in the northeast um i think henry bear Bentz is is a superstar right now especially coming off his season with the Marnarks and mlq and i just really would like to see how he grows um now one thing i did want to mention is that i would like to see a little more aggression from him you know i wanted to take a little bit more advantage of some of the mismatches he had. He you know, could have taken some more shots and things like that. But overall, I was just very impressed with this tough team. And I'm very, very excited to see how they play at the Northeast Regionals. Now, I said at Breakfast Taco, my breakout team, my surprising team was Texas State. My surprise team at Oktoberfest was Rutgers University. Now, they really wanted to <laughs> make New Jersey proud. Rutgers did, and I am so proud of this team because, wow, oh, wow. For a team that, you know, had most of their starters playing their first ever official Quidditch game, who, you know, half their team literally picked up a broom for the first time a couple of weeks ago, they really showed out. Oh, my goodness. They have uh, two twins uh, Byron and James. I'm sorry. Let me on my notes real quick. Don't want to mess up any names. Uh, Byron and J or Jason Eng. <sighs> if you would have told me that Byron and Jason were four year veterans, I would believe. Uh, just the way that they were controlling all facets of the game, right? Jason dominating the beater game. Uh, Byron as a a keeper and a chaser just you know, really distributing effectively and and scoring as many, like scoring at will pretty much. Um, It was just incredibly impressive for two kids who literally just started playing Quidditch, right? Honestly, this weekend was the weekend of the Twins, between the Smiley Twins and the Eng Twins. uh, That makes Tufts and Rutgers my matchup to watch going into this Northeast Regionals. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the finals, right? Uh, just the way that these team, two teams played, uh, especially in their matchup against each other, I'm really, really excited to see this rematch between the two teams. Um, some other players that really, really impressed me, uh, Annika Kim, Colin Fagan. Uh, Colin is a returner, but Annika also just started Quidditch uh, a couple weeks ago. Both of those players really, really stood out. Um, Colin was beating, seeking, chasing, doing all the all the, the positions, you know, doing everything right. And Annika was killing it as well. Uh, but overall, I was just really, really impressed uh, with this Rutgers team, right? And I mean, obviously they're very well coached. Nareshadala, uh, my my co GM, and that eighth man, all campus draft really knows how to coach his team, you know, brought Rutgers back from the ground up. So uh, really, really excited to see how, um, well, not only how, you know, they were able to compete with Creighton all the way up until such on pitch, um, but just also, you know, how their beaters just look so dominant all day long. Um, honestly, I thought that, you know, for how inexperienced they were, their beater, the Rutgers beaters showed the most composure out of any college team this weekend. Uh, and, of course, you know, BU was also there. BU showed incredible resilience, um, especially in that first game against Rutgers. I think they were down like 80 or 90 or something like that. Caught the snitch and, you know, brought it all the way back and almost ended up beating Rutgers at the end of that game. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see, because we all know Rutgers has that incredible coaching core as well, you know, head coach by Harry Greenhouse, USNT, but also has some other faces familiar faces in the, on the sidelines as well, you know, all the Boston people are always going to want to help out BU. So, uh, you know, overall, the Northeast looks very, very set, very, very competitive, and I can't wait to see uh, all these college teams, um, especially with the addition of the MQC teams at regionals in two weeks. Um, yeah, so I guess for that does it for the college aspect of the of the two tournaments that I believe I had filmed for. Um, but, you know, there's also some club games going on. And uh, in terms of the club side of Oktoberfest, some standout performances that I really saw that I was impressed with. Well, first of all, Bosnia, Bosnia and Bear Sharks, um, they were missing a few key players, but that team really came to play. Uh, and they showed out, right? So I don't know. I I I didn't get the memo. I I get. I originally thought that Bosnia stood for like Boston and like NYC, you know, like New York City. Uh, but apparently that's just it stands for New York State because that team looked like Rochester plus, right? Where the infusion of all the Rochester stars, you had the U the U of R core of Bassam Ashkar, Perry and Steve Bulitsky, um, you know, coming back, uh, playing together again after, you know, their dominant win against UT. And, well, dominant's a strong word, but their won over UT in the national championship game about three or four years ago. Uh, they're all back together again, playing with, you know, some incredible talents like Leanne Dillman, Rachel Heald, um, Liss, uh, all these different... Um, players from all, you know, all across the East Coast, it seems like. It's almost like an East Coast all-star team they got going on over here. But uh, overall, Bosnian just looked incredible all weekend long. Um, my beauty pair of the weekend for club was probably Steve and Leanne. Uh, together, Leanne Delman and Steve Blitzki just looked like they had no weaknesses. Um, between Steve's aggressiveness and, you know, his activity, all over the pitch, and and Leanne's IQ and her ability to just control and anchor this team—they just look incredible and extremely hard to beat. Uh, and on top of that, this Bosnian chaser depth, this Bosnian quaffle depth was superb. Um, and I know, like I said, that they're missing some key pieces or key pieces. So whenever you know they get back to full strength, this is definitely going to be a team to watch. Honestly, would not be surprised to see them making an extremely deep run uh, in the springtime uh, over at Salt Lake City when Nationals comes around. Now, uh, the other team that made it to the finals, of course, is uh, everyone's favorite uh, New York City-based team, the Warriors. Um, Now, although that The New York Titans, I know, is not the same team as the Warriors. A lot of the familiar faces from the Titans showed up on this Warriors squad. Um, And honestly, they looked almost as dominant as the Titans did all summer long, right? Um, Rachel Ayalis-Silver looks to have picked up right where she left off from the summer. And, you know, despite playing a majority of the beater minutes for the entire tournament, um, just looked incredibly impressive all day long. Didn't really miss a step. Uh, and on top of that, you know, J.C., Aaron Sibia, and John Jackson. What a one-two punch. Uh, these two are going to be extremely difficult to deal with all season long. Um, just the way that, you know, John just establishes his presence. Um, an incredibly smart, callful player and keeper. Uh, at this point, was, you know, almost scoring at will and playing lockdown defense at the hoops. Um, you know, it, it was really demoralizing for teams to <laughs> kind of have to deal with John for however many minutes and then see him sub off for JC, right? The reigning East Division MLQ MVP coming in, scoring goal after goal after goal. Uh, it was just, it was really hard to stop. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, the two progress over the season and how teams try to adjust to the two. Right. Uh, now, in addition to that, um, just overall, I think this weekend um, was a showcase of some of the class, the elite class that you're going to be able to see in club Quidditch. Um, I would say, you know, maybe three or four of the best five seekers in the entire country for club quidditch, were all in attendance, uh, this past weekend. Um, because, you know, save for Josh Andrews, who clearly is an elite seeker, um, caught two cinches in, you know, the finals at the MLQ championship. Um, so save for Josh Andrews, uh, you had, of course, myself, um, Tyler Beckman, uh, and even, Ryan Davis as well, who led the league or led m o q uh regular season and such catches uh so all three of us were you know in attendance at the tournament and uh it you know definitely showed uh, there was a lot of really quick catches there was a lot of great seeking play, and overall, I was just really really impressed with uh the the seekers in general and the different secret depth that each team had. and I mentioned secret depth because uh, after his long hiatus, Ben Fernandez uh, also didn't look like he missed the beat. Uh, finally returning from his little uh, break to Spain, he came back and uh, cemented himself as, you know, a legit seeker, being able to catch a snitch before Ryan Davis, who, of course, is extremely lethal, like I mentioned. Um, but, you know, another team that showed extreme seeker depth was the Boston Pandas. Um you have Tyler Beckman, like I mentioned. Of course, you have Harry Greenhouse, USNT Seeker, uh, but Teddy Costa was the one who was able to come out and make incredibly fast snitch catches as well. You know, so uh, Teddy Costa, well known for his his quaffle play, his chasing talent, uh, was able to still come out and make you know a really great catch and uh, contribute in the chaser game. So I was very very impressed with their beater depth as well. Right. But uh, speaking of the Pandas, um, the Pandas were a little bit disappointing this weekend. I'm not going to lie. You know, they obviously were missing some key players, and it definitely showed. You know, granted, uh, their qualifier players still look pretty strong, uh, but they just weren't as dominant as usual. Right. And um, I think that was evident because they weren't able to keep up uh, with the scoring prowess of Bosnia and the Warriors. Um, but despite that, you know, I'm sure they're going to bounce back really, really strong, uh, especially once they get a little more healthy. And I am definitely excited to see how they show out at the Northeast Regionals. Um, now, they were lacking a little bit of physicality. I would say that there was one sequence where uh, I believe uh, JC was getting guarded by, you know, various different uh smaller size chasers on pandas. And I don't know if that was, you know, their strategic game plan or not, but uh, I believe at the end of the game against the Warriors, when JC Aaron Sibia uh, was getting guarded by Teddy Costa, um, Lindsay Morella was able to just to bring up the ball or bring the quaffle up the pitch and just, you know, toss it up high to JC three, four times in a row. And JC was able just to catch it and put it in every single time. Right. So, um, hopefully they find a way to kind of, you know, deal with some of the more physical teams in the country because obviously, uh as we saw this summer uh Warriors are gonna be one of the more physical teams. There's the Texas teams that are gonna be extremely physical as well. Uh we're it's it's just overall gonna be very, very interesting to see how uh Penn is comes back and, and deals with that kind of um uh, physicality uh, that they seem to have been lacking a little bit this weekend. Uh, but overall, you know, they looked s- extremely steady in the beater game, even without Lulu Zoo, you know, USNT beater. Uh, and I'm just really excited to see how they bounce back. Uh, and then Terminus uh, making the trip all the way up from Atlanta. So props to them, you know. Uh, Quincy Holdreth, former USNT, Looked like a standout Quaffle player. Um, You know, he just really wasn't able to get stopped at all. Uh, Was beating everyone off his first step pretty much every single drive. But I think the most impressive player to me on this Terminus squad that really, really stood out, the the biggest surprise was Ruthie Polio. Um, Every time Ruthie touched the Quaffle, it seemed to go in through the hoop, right? Uh, Ruthie just always found uh, herself in the perfect space, uh, her positioning was just off the chain, and I was just extremely, extremely impressed with Ruthie all weekend long. Um, and, like I said, of course, the aforementioned Ryan Davis showing out. Um, I mentioned that Casey Beavers was probably the most versatile uh, collegiate player in the country. I think Ryan Davis might be the most versatile club player in the country, just in terms of their ability to not only seek uh, at an extremely, extremely high level, but also uh, being able to contribute as one of the main chasers or quaffle players and beaters on this Terminus squad. So I'm really looking forward to see uh, Terminus's development over the course of the season. Now, of course, they were without uh, one of their star keepers, Trey Presley, um, who, um, you know, Trey would have un- undoubtedly contrib- contributed a ton to this uh, quaffle lineup. Uh, but overall, you know, Terminus look extremely, you know, just efficient, right? Uh, and their beaters look strong. I mean, obviously, they're going up against some of the best beaters in the world. You know, you have Max Haviland, Leon Dillman, that duo of Perry Wang and Steve Belitsky, Rachel Silver, you know, I, the list can go on and on and on. The Northeast is well, well known for their extreme uh depth or the 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 really, really deep pool of a beat of quality right but uh despite that the terminus beaters really really held their own um and overall i just thought their qualified players looked like the most physical all tournament long uh so just like i said really really excited to see how terminus progresses over the season and excited to see how deep they make it in uh salt lake city this upcoming spring uh, so the two other club teams that uh, showed up to Oktoberfest were Skyline, Quidditch, and DCQC. So DCQC um, featuring a lot of players who were coming out of retirement, actually. Uh, didn't look too bad. They actually looked pretty promising. There was a interesting strategic choice to invite a lot of pressure. Uh, something that I noticed especially in the earlier on games. And, you know, uh, it was an interesting decision, but it proved effective at times. Unfortunately, I don't believe that they were able to uh, be extremely successful uh, in terms of the results of their games. But overall, I was pretty impressed with DCQC. They played uh, pretty intelligently uh, and, you know, were just kind of unlucky to not have that much time to make an impression in stitch on pitch play, especially early on in the day um, with, you know, a lot of the catches coming very quickly into uh, the, uh, or very quickly after the 20 minute mark, but that was just in general uh, a constant problem that the club games were kind of having, right? Uh, A lot of the seekers today really, really showed their, or I'm sorry, not today. (laughs) A lot of the seekers this past weekend, uh really really short the quality so um there wasn't a lot of spacing uh, available which you know might have helped out DCQC a little bit but overall you know pretty impressed with DCQC and uh if you know the whole team stays together they could definitely definitely make some waves once they you know refamiliarize themselves all together because this was like a uh it was kind of like a, a generational team like a all uh DCQC team you know they had different players, some of the best players from various iterations of this squad all coming together at once. So, you know, once they play together a little bit more, they could definitely uh, make some noise uh, at other various tournaments throughout the season, right? And, of course, Skyline, um, Skyline Quidditch, making their first official appearance at a Quidditch tournament, also pretty impressive as well. Um, And despite, you know, the routing that uh, Bosnia... The Bosnia just kind of laid the smackdown on Skyline to you know start the day off, but the way that Skyline responded I thought was extremely admirable. Um, Skyline really gave terminus a, a huge fight um, keeping that game extremely close up until around such on pitch time um, and overall just their beaters looked very very good. their quaffle game seemed extremely resilient uh, sometimes scoring after getting tackled one two even three times. Um so very, very impressed with Skyline. I think Skyline has so much potential to grow. Uh and like I said, this is literally their first official tournament together. So I'm sure as they play more and more together, they will really be a team that strikes fear in you know some teams' hearts. Uh, So I think that is it for all of the Quidditch that was played this past weekend that has film available. Of course, I would love to, you know, speak a little bit more about, uh, some of the other games that happened, but unfortunately that was all the Quidditch that I had seen film for. I'm not sure if there was any film for, uh, I know there was some Western games that were happening, uh, this past weekend and like Turtle Cup happened as well. The Nittany Inventational, um. Oh, uh MQC and since this is the first um this is the first pod episode since USQ season started, I haven't had a talk I haven't had a chance to talk about any of the MQC openers. Uh but man, the MQC doesn't look too bad, you know? Um I guess I'll start with the D two. Uh Brown, of course, is the story of the MQC D two. Uh Andrew Steinberg, developmental economy player. Uh, he looks like a man amongst boys, amongst boys, right? He uh, is definitely a quality, qualified player playing and um, a in a level that is clearly um, it, it is clearly lacking the same quality that he brings, right? So I'm really, really excited to see how Brown plays at uh, Northeast Regionals uh because then they'll you know really get a chance to play against some serious collegiate tests right um they'll get a chance to play against the likes of uh you know Rutgers and others like that who uh potentially might offer different challenges than the teams uh, that are currently in the d2 of the mqc uh and then you know speaking of the other teams i mentioned bu and tough earlier on in the episode but Uh, RPI as well, another powerhouse in the Northeast, probably uh, the next best team outside of Tufts and or Rutgers uh, to challenge for that regional championship as well. Uh, Now, it's unfortunate that NYU doesn't have the opportunity to defend their regional championship uh, because like the rest of the New York City teams, uh, NYU's administration is not allowing any of their players to play this upcoming season um so you know there will be a new regional champion crowned and it will be exciting to see whether it is tufts who i already mentioned uh, is extremely uh impressive uh between the smiley twins and hbp Rutgers, who you know i mentioned their youth is very very positive and i'm extremely optimistic about Rutgers, or whether it be this rbi team who is featuring you know a number of quality players uh, Ellie Lysick is you know as everyone knows an extremely extremely lethal, quaffle player. Um, one of the best chasers, if not the best chaser in collegiate Quidditch, or at least in the Northeast. And you also have um, one of my uh, <laughs> one of my sleeper picks uh for potentially a standout player at Northeast Regional, Mason DeBuff, who Mason was on the Titans practice team this past summer. And really, really grew so much. Um, So I'm extremely excited to see this RPI team and uh, cannot wait to uh, see how this Northeast Regionals turns out. Um, But yeah, so overall, great weekend of Quidditch. Cannot wait to see some more um i know northeast regionals is coming up in two weeks uh great lakes and midwest regionals is also coming up near the end of this month as well uh and the mid-atlantic i think is just after that so the next couple of weeks we have some really really great quidditch coming up and then even in the spring as well you know that's when the west and the southwest start to pop out a little bit more as well so this is going to be an extremely exciting season especially in college where we're still seeing, you know, the separation between the experienced and the inexperienced, and we're seeing how they, you know, mesh together. Uh, Obviously, you know, there's the gap isn't as big as we thought it was going to be. You know, with Rutgers almost keeping up with Creighton, for example, a team who is mostly all first-time players versus a team who has some, you know, established stars. Um, So it's definitely going to be interesting to see in every region how all these teams kind of progress. But uh, all in all, that is all that I have for y'all today. Um, so before I, you know, end out it or get out of here, quick shout out to some of the people that make this podcast possible because this is the tenth episode, so I do need to make sure that people get their props. First of all, Ian Skura, of course, um, shout out to Ian for you know producing and editing every single episode. There would be no pod without Ian Skura, uh, and definitely give the beat. A quick check out if you haven't already with Ian and Emily Hickman. Um, those are some really really cool episodes. Um, and then also shout out to Christina Gukis, you know, for the incredible intro and outro music that y'all hear every single episode. Uh, but nonetheless, thank you everyone again for tuning in to episode ten of the pod, and I will see you next time to talk about more Quidditch. Peace.